Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord. We remember, especially on this communion Sunday, that as the travelers to Emmaus on Easter evening encountered Christ in the, at the table and remembered the word, they knew the presence of the living Christ with them. You and I know that as well, and it is a gift to share and worship with you as we gather this morning at First Church, especially those who may be visiting. We thank you for your presence, and just remind us all of the registration pads as you find those in your pews, because we appreciate knowing that you share with us in this time of worship. We appreciate your attention to opportunities before us, this being Labor Day weekend. There will be no after-church activities, and of course, tomorrow's school is closed. And uh, the children's choir's ministries that take place on Monday afternoon will wait until next week. Thank you for your support of these ministries, and do keep these in prayer as they add life to many within this congregation and beyond. Remember as well, in two weeks, the Rise Against Hunger ministry will take place in the Uptown Ministry Center, uh, Saturday morning, the 14th. This has always been a highlight of the church year. It involves practically every generation, so we are grateful for that opportunity to gather together within this church and beyond so as to help those who have need. And again, we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke this year. We find ourselves in some table conflict. Jesus gathers at table, but not everyone is grateful for the witness he offers there. That word is before us as we prepare ourselves to gather at table as well. And as we gather, we do so in a new way. The worship and song booklet is before us. We'll be a part of this time of worship. Jill Gardner, I will welcome you to introduce this to us. So I have a feeling you have that one in your ear already. 
But what I'd like for us to do is to rehearse the Sanctus and Benedictus and the Memorial Acclamation. So has everybody found the page? Everybody got that? Which most of us know as the Almighty. 
So enjoy that and raise your voices after we've had our Lord's Supper together. Thank you so much.
Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand and share in this call. Creator God, you call us to hospitality, to give as generously to others as you have given to us. Loving God, you call us to give you glory in the compassion we show to one another. We gather as one body, seeking to walk in the way you have set before us.
We go to God as we pray, our opening prayer before us. Then we will share in the prayer for illumination and the reading of the gospel before singing again. Let us pray. Hospitable God, you invite us to a banquet where the last may be first and the humble and the mighty trade places. Let us share your abundance with no fear of scarcity. Let us greet strangers as angels you have sent. Send your spirit now so that we may find a place at your table and welcome others with radical hospitality. In the name of Jesus, guest at all our tables, we pray. Amen. And again, the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 14. Let us pray. Lord, as we proclaim your word, may your spirit be poured upon it. May it find new life in its proclamation and hearing as we gather as your people. For your word, which gives life each day, which sustains us, guides us, directs us, and draws us closer to you, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, we hear the word of God. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler who belonged to the Pharisees, they were watching him. And behold, there was a man before him who had a dropsy. And Jesus spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. Then he took him and healed him and let him go. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well, will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he marked how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a marriage feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest a more eminent man than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of our Lord. I saw them eating, and I knew who they were. This statement is an old Middle Eastern proverb Jesus may well have known. The statement may not make much sense in our age of fast food and family suppers around the TV, but in Jesus' day, what you ate and with whom you ate were matters of greatest priority. The scripture before us this morning, scripture which again finds Jesus at table in Luke 14, witnesses to this truth. You see, for those of the Jewish faith, eating together was literally a religious experience. To eat together was to celebrate their faith, which included precise rules about what happened around the table. Cleanliness was paramount. Clean food, clean dishes, clean hands, clean hearts. A proper Jewish meal was a worship service in which believers honored God by sanctifying the most ordinary details of daily life. Still, you and I know from numerous accounts in our Gospels, Jesus offended a lot of people with his behavior at table. Jesus ignored the finger bowl by his plate. He ate anything that was put in front of him. He thought nothing of sitting down to eat with filthy people whose lives declared their contempt for religion. 
People saw Jesus eating, and they knew who he was. Someone who appeared to have lost all sense of what was right. A man who condoned sin by eating with sinners, and who offended the good people who had raised him. Remember that in the time of, of Jesus, sinners fell into one of five categories. There were people who did dirty things for a living, such as pig farmers, tax collectors. There were people who did immoral things, liars, adulterers. There were people who did not keep the law of the standards of the religious authorities, and that's probably you and me. And then there were Samaritans. There were Gentiles. So, if I were putting together a sinner's table at a local restaurant, who would be the most offensive persons I would place there? Would it be someone who voted differently than I did? Watched different cable news? Would it be an arms dealer? Garbage collector? Young man with AIDS? Would it be a migrant farm worker? A teenage crack addict? Or an unmarried woman on welfare with five children by three different fathers? Did I miss someone? Don't forget to put Jesus at the head of this table, asking the young man to hand him a roll, please, and offering the migrant worker a second cup of coffee before he heads back to the fields. Then this happens. The local ministerial association comes into the restaurant, sits down at a large table across from all these sinners. The religious authorities all decked out in their finest apparel, every hair in place, of course. When their food comes, they hold hands to pray. They're all perfectly nice people, but they can hardly eat their salads for staring at the strange crowd in the far booth. The garbage collector smells like, well, garbage. The addict cannot seem to find his mouth with his spoon. But none of that's the heartbreaker. The heartbreaker is Jesus, sitting there as if everything were just fine. Doesn't he know what kind of message he's sending? Who is going to believe Jesus speaks for God if he does not keep better company than this? Remember, I saw them eating, and I knew who they were. This may or may not strike us as some alarming story, Hold in a place such as this. It's about hanging out with the wrong people. It's about throwing parties for losers and asking winners to foot the bill. It's about giving up the idea that we can love God and despise our neighbor. Still, the only way to work out our relationship with God, Scripture seems to tell us, 
is by working out our relationship with one another. We remember Jesus told this story to, to the ministerial association that was complaining about his dinner parties. And he said, I can't hear you from across the restaurant. Why don't you come over here and pull up some chairs? Because Jesus saw them eating and he knew who they were. So clean, so right, so angry. He wanted to help them too, so he said, come meet my friends. Dessert is on me. And as far as we know, he's still awaiting their response. Now again, if we're honest, we may not find this the most comfortable of stories, and that's okay. We're not here for our comfort. We may feel offense, we may feel indictment in response to this story. Not a pleasant experience, but not a bad one either. Because the truth is, even those of us who preach can too easily forget how offensive Jesus can be. It may be that as we prepare to deliver a new sermon each week, the Gospels become well-worn and smooth and lose the rough edges, may lose their shock, their indictment, their offense. To the degree that this occurs, it's, it's sad, sad that Holy Scripture, even infrequently, loses its edge, its offense for the preacher. Still, it is true for us, as it is for everyone here, our spirits, too, can on occasion wander through barren places. But there's also this. On those occasions in sermon preparation, when we confront the undeniable offense of Scripture, we may ask ourselves, just how much do I wish to bring this offense to the congregation. That is to say, just how much do we preachers wish to displease the worshiping community? I fear the answer to this question is too often, not much. We may instead prefer to play it safe, dare not risk offending those who pay our salaries, those who make decisions about whether we stay or move. In making this choice, we risk being unfaithful to the gospel. We risk, we risk misrepresenting the gospel because our scriptures make it clear quite frequently that Jesus offended people. Now, it's not that he went out of his way to offend people. And it's not that he took great measures to offend anyone. And it's not that his ministry was one of committing offenses. Oddly enough, it appears Jesus offended others by engaging in the most ordinary of daily experiences. Experiences such as having dinner with someone. Now, should anyone really take offense at Jesus in regard to his choice for dinner company? Maybe not. But even our celebration of the Lord's Supper finds the mealtime practices of Jesus noteworthy. We know the celebration of the Lord's Supper, as brief as it is, 
doesn't tell us everything about Jesus' ministry. In fact, it tells us but a few things. He healed the sick, for example. No doubt we understand why this is to be remembered from the life of Jesus as we gather at table. We're speaking of miracles, of making the blind to see and the lame to walk and the leper clean. He fed the hungry, we are told. Again, every reason to include this in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. To take but a few loaves of bread and a handful of fish and then feed thousands of people. Who could forget this? By all means, remember this as we break bread and share a cup at the table of our Lord. Yet the celebration of the Lord's Supper tells us one more thing about the ministry of Jesus. It tells us he ate with sinners. Interesting that this celebration calls us to remember this aspect of the life of Jesus. I mean, eating with sinners hardly calls for divine powers, powers called upon so as to heal the sick and feed the hungry. Eating with sinners in and of itself doesn't necessarily indicate Jesus is Messiah, Son of God. Still, of those experiences of Jesus' ministry remembered during the great Thanksgiving, the experience of Jesus eating with sinners is recalled. It appears from our scripture this same behavior of eating with sinners is no small deal. This, according to scripture, is behavior of great consequence. It is not to be dealt with with nonchalance. So words that we have heard for as long as we can remember, words we may have spoken more than once, are words front and center for the religious folks who took offense at the behavior of Jesus. You know those words as well as I do. You're judged by the company you keep. Now, if these words are directed toward Jesus as words of accusation, such words appear to bother him not at all. In fact, rather than rejecting such words, Jesus embraces them, owns them. We hear what he says. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. In other words, God loves a party and God is going to throw his party and invite whom he will. No amount of snide comments or raising of eyebrows at the guest list is going to prevent God from being God. God will throw his party, the table is set, we are ready for company. I remember a certain pastor who wondered years ago, what would I need if I were to start a new church? Well, many things came to his mind, he says, but among the most important things he said he would need in starting a new church were these. The Bible, baptismal font, and the table. I don't know that any of us here would disagree with him, but I do wonder at times if we have any idea just how large the table is to be. And in case we forget, our scriptures are more than willing to usher us again to the table of our Lord, to experience again the extravagant hospitality of God, even if we are offended by such hospitality. Amen.
I invite us to respond to the word by honoring and remembering Labor Day and the labors of our neighbors. So the Labor Day litany is before us. I'll invite us to stand as we share responsibly in this litany. Lord, bless the work of our hands for all those who toil and labor. Lord, bless the work of their hands. For those who have lost their jobs, who are unemployed or underemployed, let us pray. Lord, bless the work of their hands. For those who work in hazardous conditions without sufficient protection, let us pray. For those who face discrimination, harassment, or abuse in the workplace, let us pray. Lord, bless the work of their hands. For agricultural workers and for all who work the land, let us pray. Lord, bless the work of their hands. For all employers that they may seek to provide a just work environment, let us pray. For those who struggle to balance job commitments with the needs of their family, let us pray. Lord, bless the work of their hands. For all humans who seek to become the co-creators of the promised kingdom, let us pray. Lord, bless the work of their hands. Loving God, through your Son, you gave us an example of how to love one another and how to embody this love in labor to serve the poor and the oppressed. Give us the strength to continue working to bring forth your kingdom here on earth, a kingdom of justice and peace where all know compassion, grace, and mercy. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated and we share in the prayers of the people a responsive time of prayer in which I will name a series of petitions and conclude each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy. I invite from you the response, hear our prayer in the naming of those prayer concerns you carry with you to worship. Let us pray. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Fred Compton. The family of Byron Corcoran and the family of Rebecca Crabtree. Barbara Rainey. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Courtney. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. For those grieving near Midland, Texas. For 
Lord, in your mercy, hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Bishop Weaver, Denise Bates, Ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy, and hear our prayers joined with those of the saints who surround us now and find their place at your gracious table. Amen. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Our prayer of confession is a responsive prayer. I invite us to go to God as we offer this prayer and then receive the good news of God's forgiveness. Let us pray. For the times we are afraid of the stranger, for the times we refuse the stranger because we think our resources are just too meager, Lord, forgive us. For the times we are too busy trying to impress our guest, the times we think we are being hospitable but instead serve only our own needs, Lord forgive us. And hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. We welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
I'll invite our ushers to come forward as we prepare to worship God by receiving his tithes and our offerings. As they come forward, a reminder that, again, we see our mission boxes here as we see each first Sunday as we gather at the Lord's table. The boxes here that are to invite support of the mission ministries of the church. So as you come forward for the body and blood of Christ, you may make your contributions to these boxes as well. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for our daily bread, but you give in great abundance. You provide for us so that we have no want. You're a God who loves us to the point of giving your own son for us. So we give you thanks. We pray our lives may be lives of gratitude, gratitude shown as we return these gifts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
table is prepared. We remember the words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me, and we gather. I'll invite you to follow along on page 9 in the front of our hymnals to share in the great thanksgiving. Again, we remember that there are three opportunities to respond as part of this great thanksgiving. These will be sung responses in which the choir will lead us. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God and spoke to us through your prophets, and so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven. We praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and to death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. 
your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and to deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. This is the table of our Lord to which each of you is welcome. The most gracious of hosts desires nothing greater than dining with you. So I'll invite you to come down the center aisle. There will be two stations here. At each station, you will receive a portion of the bread and dip that into the cup that will be held before you. Feel free to pray here at the communion rail, having received the body and blood of Christ before returning down the side aisles. Our choir will come first. Come to the table of our Lord. bottom of page 11 and posted before us, prayer with which we close the great thanksgiving. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We stand, we share our closing hymn from Worship and Sing.
We go now in peace as those who have been fed and as those with whom Jesus has eaten, because we are sure Jesus eats with sinners. But we are sent forward in his name as a light in this community, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.